You are listening to another DX Talk. Delivering vital knowledge that empowers leaders to drive transformational change in their businesses. Brought to you by Quantum, facilitators of future-focused operating models that balance people, processes, and technology towards a new way of working. All right, welcome. My name is Russell Berg. I'm the General Manager of Product and Emerging Technology for Quanton. This is the second podcast in a special three-part content series. Part one addressed the growth in the global robotic process automation market, and this week we're going to explore how automation will support businesses through the coming challenges associated with coronavirus and the impending recession. The three key areas we're going to talk about today are productivity, business, res- sorry, business resilience, and jobs. To help us with this conversation, I'd like to introduce Gary Green. Gary Green is the founder of Quanton. He was involved in the incep- sorry, he was involved in the inception of New Zealand's first RPA program. His very early career, he spent 20 years in the UK Air Force. Uh, and as a fun fact, Gary, I'm, I hope you can verify this for this. Sorry, verify this for me. I'm pretty sure you said you were a, a spokesman for NATO at one point. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Russell. It's good to be here. Nice. Uh, right, so do you want to start by sharing your perspective on some of the challenges created for businesses as a result of coronavirus and what you believe some of the silver linings are? Yeah, thanks, Russell. I mean, obviously the impact of coronavirus globally has been uh, unprecedented and the responses have been kind of varied around the world. I guess for New Zealand, we went into a rapid lockdown, which meant businesses had to change their operating models overnight. Uh, unfortunately, there's some businesses that if involve close human contact, they're effectively shut and closed. And obviously, restrictions ease, you know, there's the ability for those businesses to start to trade again. I guess more in the service area and essential area, businesses have continued. And I guess it's for those businesses, they've had to rapidly go to a remote working model. Um, interesting, they will have activated a bit business continuity plans and that they've been IT enabled. But equally, a mass migration of people to centralized office-based working to remote workings, seeing a fundamental change here. It's taken people, some people quite a bit of time to adjust and businesses as well. Some have been up and running a lot quicker. But equally, I guess the thing is it's where people have often challenged home working or seen as a bit of a stigma. Now it's the new norm. And there's a lot of people that are, some are enjoying it, some would be glad to go back into an office environment. But it offers businesses a lot more flexibility in their workforce, the geography of the workforce, and then also the productivity of people. If they don't have to commute, it's suddenly a lot less pressure on infrastructure as well. And and we've certainly seen in a sort of media an article about Optus that have actually are going to continue with remote working and move their contacts into business model to a remote working model, which is quite interesting. I think what's interesting about that though is is not most businesses, especially larger businesses, their their processes are built around supporting a centralised on-premise. You know, operating model. Whereas what what you've described is we've moved rapidly to a dispersed workforce work, working from home. So the 
you know, the processes that we use and, and a good example to go to, well, an easy one might be health and safety. The processes that we're using to support our business model um, aren't necessarily directly applicable to, to this change, right? So there's quite a bit of change for businesses to go through there to adjust those processes and, and, and that new way of working. Yeah, I think it's also an acceptance because um, before having Zoom meetings, you could do them, you could do video meetings, but it was always seen as a, a last resort where now it's the primary means of communication. All of a sudden, you're going, actually, if people don't have to commute, they're getting back an hour and a half a day. If for a meeting, they don't have to travel halfway across town or halfway across the country, big productivity gain. And actually, often finding that meetings are actually shorter and more focused, so you're actually gaining time back. But it's also, you know, you can, you know, link teams literally together all over the country and globally as well. So I think there's a lot of developments there that are really interesting. Equally now, when we look at teams that are remote working, it's how do you ensure they're productive? And I think there's, when we've moved rapidly to a remote working model, there's probably efficiencies and harmonizations that we have to do there. Uh, so I think there's an opportunity there for businesses now to start to leverage those models and how you can kind of build upon that. And in, in separate conversations, you've talked about how businesses are going to face new challenges in the, the post-coronavirus environment. Can you expand on that a little bit? I think the, I mean, there's no debate that about this now, but we will go into recession. It's just how deep and how long and different industries will be impacted around that. And unfortunately, recession, um, uh, access to capital reduces, the ability to borrow reduces, um, there's cost pressure on businesses to control the cost and how they operate. Uh, businesses don't spend as much, discretionary spending goes down. So it becomes a very tough environment. Also in recession, capability being lost and capacity can be lost, depends how long the recession goes on. And it's, it's knowing that that is coming, businesses have got to look at how they can be in the best shape going forward. And there's a lot of measures they can take around, you know, within how they're going to operate, where they need to focus their activity and efforts on. And there's definitely a redistribution of where you put resources within your business and where you invest within the business and where you don't. Um, when you come out of a recession, it's then going, we're into a, a new environment as well, competitive. So you've got to preserve the capacity that you believe you're going to need coming out the other side. So that makes some difficult choices as you go forward. Um, and I guess on a productivity side that, you know, we need to ensure that businesses are productive for that. And there's a, Traditionally, New Zealand as well, we've been not the most productive and have, you know, way behind the rest of the world due to management, I guess, management practices, access to capital, investment, uh, leveraging new technology and IT. And I think that if we're going to the recessionary environment, we do have to look at how we can actually leverage some of those technologies as well as new practices. Because old ways of doing stuff before COVID and before a recession just won't cut it going forward. We've also got the exponential change in technology that's putting additional pressure on. So it's interesting you, you step into productivity and I want to draw reference to uh, a 2019 report by the New Zealand Productivity Commission. And as some key points out of that, they, they basically said New Zealand's productivity has been traditionally poor. Um, so this isn't our perception, right? This is, a, I guess, a fact for New Zealand. 
New Zealand's productivity growth over the last decade has slowed to uh, 1% annually, which is below the long uh, the long running average of 1.5%. And our productivity is below the top half of all countries measured by the OECD, which which is really saying that you know we are lagging behind the rest of the world. Another key fact in there is that New Zealand's services sector represents 67% of New Zealand's total economy. Uh, so it's clearly important, and you've already made this point, that, that getting productivity up for the service sector is critical. But you've also said uh, you know, that there's, but there, there's a lot of blocks to that. So what do you see some of those blocks being? I mean, some of the blocks are uh, investment in the right technology. And I guess some of that comes down to understanding how it can be applied to businesses, how it can help create new ways of working, how it can increase productivity and gain, and how you actually realise those benefits as gains. Uh, also linked to that is if you're going to invest in new technology, invest in the right technology. Um, there's a tradition of a DIY approach in the Great Wire in New Zealand. And while that's laudable, it's, it's sometimes useful to leverage expertise and experience to give you that step change in your capability. You still have an organic capability afterwards, but do it in partnership with someone that knows and has got deep experience in those areas. Um, the other areas around access to capital, uh, a lot of you know, small medium businesses are bootstrapped by the owners and traditionally New Zealand would not necessarily have the best access to capital, you can debt fund or access you know, capital through various funds and so on. Um, but again, that's also hampered us, the ability to leverage that. Yeah, so that's a few, a few of the areas. Um, I think that even with a background for productivity, there's some of the, uh, so one of the other areas is also managerial uh, practices. And again, some of the blocks of, that we have a resistance to change. Uh, I guess with a crisis like COVID, some of those blocks are being pushed to the side because there's now a burning platform that means people will move quickly and can see what the dangers are. I think it's very important to leverage that going forward that we can use this to really help our productivity. We could look at some of the changes that are needed within businesses to make them more productive, make them more efficient, and that people probably got a more of a willingness to accept change because it's either change or, or wither. What's your advice to businesses, right? So if someone out here is listening and, and agreeing with you completely that we've got to get productivity up inside a business, how does someone start approaching that? Like what, where would you, yeah, how would you approach that and where would you be looking? What kind of initiatives would you be looking at? I think it's understand what the market is that you're going to be operating in, um, what the competitive landscape is, but also within your own business, if you're not sure where the productivity gains need to be made or how you can do them, is speak to someone that can help. And there's so yourselves and others out there that can help with that. It's education as well. Yes, there's a lot of technologies out there, but technology on its own won't solve the problem because ultimately, if you're going to change your productivity and how you do your business, it's transformational. That's not easy. You need support and advice and the right people around you to do that. And it is a big leadership challenge, but it's not insurmountable. It's if you have the right tools, support, mentoring around that. The technology is kind of secondary because it's you've got to get the change management right and the leadership right to drive forward. 
and then a technology just is an enhancement and a way of systemizing some of those changes. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, when I was talking with uh, Martin Melthorpe in, in the part one of this content series, that's actually one of the points he made that he was referring to Australasian businesses when he said this, but we, we don't do change well. And traditional tra- traditional change was, was based on, you know, processes, uh, processes, technology, and people. And there were the three pillars. And, and you've, in our previous conversations, you've added the fourth pillar, which is data. And I really agree with that. And I think one of the key points is that you have to address all of those holistically to effectively change. Because if you if you leave one or more of those parts out, you're, you're not going to effectively achieve change. You're only going to create more barriers and, and more pain for the business. Is, is that something you'd agree with? Absolutely. And I think it's that thing that um, you can weave all of those together. Change management, transformation, all the good tools around that, and the vision, the roadmap, etc., and how you do the change and take people along the way are absolutely vital. And um, having the right technology tools to support that as well are important. It will embed it. But again, the other link is data, information, knowledge, and it's how you can leverage that now because we are going to a data-driven economy, and not just what has happened, but also forecasting decisioning for the future and in your activities that you're doing you're going to have more and more data available as to how you're performing and the ability to if you are going down a new path you're getting feedback and the ability to monitor that and make pivots really quickly where do you see automation fitting into this conversation right we're talking about productivity how does how does automation relate to that in the current environment i think um Automation can do many things if it's utilised properly. Its big, greatest impact is going to be if you deliver it strategically to the business. It's aligned with the strategy of the business and the outcomes you're trying to achieve. And whether that's going to a new market, growing revenue, growing top line, bottom line, customer satisfaction, customer intimacy, it can help with all of those, compliance. And so I think that it's around, in fact, if you take cost control, it can... Automation can be used to actually help reduce the cost in areas by moving mundane tasks to software robots, uh, standardizing what you do, etc. Freeing up capacity and people to deal with high, higher value tasks, customer interactions, more complex problems. Because not all automation, not all processes are suitable to be automated or should you. The other side is productivity that actually, if you automate an area, you can actually do things differently. You can actually start to increase the service levels and whereby you might have had five people working in an area that you then automate some of the processes suddenly you can get, do you can massively increase the throughput in that area equally you know, exceptions and the same number of people can handle the exceptions or actually handle what, what you're doing so uh, and also if you're looking at expanding certain areas in the business you can throw automation at it or if you've got surges of activity certainly at the moment we're seeing covid that some industries, you know, governments and banking have been inundated with you know, applications for changes to loans, uh, financial packages, etc., etc. And there's backlogs there that's perfect for automation to handle and deal with those, as well as as you change your business model, you, know, you may have seasonal peaks as well that you're dealing with, or the ability to respond quicker to crisis situations. I think one of the, the key messages for me in that conversation is that there are businesses at the moment who are 
somewhat being forced to change their process, processes in a very reactive way to to meet current demand, right? Like there, we've had to move to dispersed remote working. Uh, the old way we did processes necessarily doesn't work, so we, we are looking for new ways to do processes. And I think that's a golden opportunity for businesses, not simply to uh, find the quickest and best way to do it, but to equally uh, take the opportunity to consider how could we really do this differently uh, to start future-proofing our business model and to start uh, step-changing our, our operating model to a new, a new way of working, right? Yeah, that's a good, good point, Russell, because it's it gives you that flexibility now to actually, where you've only dreamt of doing some of these things, you can rapidly implement new business processes, new ways of working. And 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 that's the other beauty of this is this can be done very quickly. You're not talking years, months, you're talking weeks or days to bring these, these sorts of things in, especially when you've got to fundamentally change the way you operate and react to... Uh, new market demands is hugely powerful and gives massive competitive advantage as well or the ability to actually survive and then prosper. This is actually a good segue into resilience and you've you've talked about resilience being a massive factor for businesses going forward. So how how is resilience, uh, I guess first of all, what is resilience? And second of all, how is it more important for businesses now? Like my definition of resilience is the ability to deal with the unexpected and still carry on. It's being robust and that you've got a business model and supportive systems around it or ways of working that can handle shocks. And it's the, it's the known or foreseen risks. You've probably factored in, but it's the unforeseen risks. And interestingly, with the COVID crisis, everybody had, you know, majority of business have business continuity plans. And, but what, probably caught people out was even the risk people haven't forecast the pandemic it wasn't in the top 20 of global risks uh, but it was the fact that it affected every part of the globe so where businesses have operations in New Zealand Australia India and the Philippines they'd always they've got a business continuity plan that they could move capacity or functionality around uh, what they what most people hadn't foreseen was that everyone was taken impacted at the same time so you've had businesses that have had the Philippine and Indian centers closed down and then they had no remote, most of them have no remote working capabilities. So the functionality that had been offshored stopped. And we've seen some businesses have to rapidly bring that on, on shore and on board and then to a dispersed workforce. So I think coming out of this, businesses are going to look a lot more closely about how they conduct their operations and actually core activity or activity brings in revenue or supports them you know they're going to have to look at how that can oper operate no matter what and i think this is a golden opportunity to actually look at some of those and actually bring them on shore you can combine automation with that you can certainly create a lot of opportunity within new zealand and if we look at so that obviously tourism sector has been taking a huge hit you've got a lot of capability there of people that are customer centric we're looking and again with the dispersed with remote technologies you've got a workforce across the country that you can tap into so i think there's a golden opportunity to onshore there um, so this is this is a really interesting point and it was certainly one that i wanted to expand on a lot and you know we're in a time at the moment where like we've been talking to some degree about automation in this conversation and 
there was a period not that long ago where people were worried about how automation would impact jobs. Um, and it would be very understandable if there was a sense of renewed fear in the current business environment. And you've got a really great take on this, which you've already touched on. And the line that you've used is, is bring them home. Do you, do you want to elaborate on that a bit more? Because you are talking about uh, bringing home work, you know, processes that have been offshored into offshore teams and, and repatriating them back into the New Zealand market and back into New Zealand geography. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I accept that there's commercial arrangements and that businesses are made to offshore stuff, but, um, and some of them take a bit of work to unpick. But pers my personal experience has never been good when I've had to deal with a, a, a contact centre that's offshore. And because there's the culture and language challenges, as well as if you're phoning up, it's normally a bit more difficult. You know, you can't deal with it online, you can't deal with it routinely. Um, so, and it, so I think that people appreciate more when they're dealing with somebody that understands what they are, the problem they have and the issue. Um, I think that's obviously <clears throat> in this sort of thing that you're going, there's a huge amount of talent in New Zealand that you could be tapped into. And again, we're looking at leveraging remote working technologies that are already being, now being utilized. So a number of businesses are looking to change their operating model to do that. You're suddenly actually not just offshore, but actually it gives businesses the ability to actually spread jobs across the country and much more flexibility in workforce. And I think the thing is as well is that the fear of automation has always been that robots will take jobs. We've certainly seen to date that we've created probably more jobs and more opportunities through leveraging automation because it creates new possibilities of what can be done. There's more service offerings, the higher level of service that can be done. And then you, know, you, can, you can do more, you can extend your own hours of operation, the amount of services you offer, etc. The cost of delivering them effectively comes down because you will spread it over you know, bots for the human workforce and offer a greater number of opportunities. I think that's one of the key points there that I, I wanted to hear you say. And if, if I skip a, you know, seg, uh, you know, jump into a segue for a second, I think one of the key things, you know, in terms of technology trends, which is occurring is up until this point, I think what we've seen is the, the human workforce and the digital workforce. And they're, they're quite, they have been quite disparate. We, we do talk about them coming together, but they're quite disparate. Whereas where we're seeing technology go now and some of the functionality that's starting to come in, human in the loop being a, a prime example, we're seeing a far greater level of integration. And yes, those two, you know, some stuff will go to a human workforce, some stuff will go to a, a digital workforce, but we're seeing a massive area of augmented automation in the middle where, where humans and, and basically automation are working in a very integrated manner. And using that combination of technology and what, what you said at the end of your last uh, conversation was, you know, this will vary depending on the business and, and what they're doing, but necessarily uh, using you know, the talent available in New Zealand in combination with automation is necessarily going to be more cost effective for businesses than their current offshoring model. That, that is what you're saying, right? I absolutely wrestle because I think that if you leverage the advantages that automation bring combined with a local workforce and like say human and loop, uh, leveraging some of those decisioning technologies and support technologies, you can suddenly do a higher level of service. You've 
and a level of service that people have paid a premium or a lot for and was realms of say yeah, one end of the spectrum in delivery where you're democratizing a service a high level of service rather than uh, homogenizing it and pushing it to a very low level of service which you've had in the past so it's, it's a triple whammy really sorry triple whammy really you're you're increasing service levels to customers you're necessarily going to get a greater cost benefit and improved cost control and you're driving job opportunities in new zealand for new zealand's workforce absolutely and i think we've got a lot of talent here we can leverage and uh, and i think as well with it when we've got an economy that is how well its biggest sectors have its heart ripped at you've got to grow the other areas of the economy and so how can we do that so it's coming up with ideas out of the box and i mean i guess people people can always find a reason why not to do this but i think we've it's but if you focus on the whys, you can overcome the no's. Cool. So that's a, you know, I think you touched on something else there. We've, we've been talking about, I guess, offshoring, which largely relates to call centers. But I think that the essence of the conversation we have been having relates to all business models. It relates to, to anyone in the service sector. And you're really keen to explore that. So one of the initiatives that uh, you've thrown yourself into is a, um, a new ways of working think tank and you're basically hosting an informal think tank conversation uh, around you know I guess around that do, do you want to share a little bit more with us about that initiative yeah I mean a lot of people are trying to think what we need to do in a post-covid lockdown environment and uh, and again just with our interactions with customers and clients we've got some insights into some of the challenges they've they're facing as well as some of the opportunities this has thrown up. So I just want to get together a, a collection of you know, business owners, leaders, thought leaders that to bring their experience and their knowledge across multiple industries. Because again, if we can share some of these, what we see as pain points as well as what some of the strategies could be to address this. You know, we've got, you know, we've got a few people already volunteer to come along I think it's exciting a lot of ideas were floating around as well because I I think that and certainly some of the ideas we thought about just one was like if you bring onshore work back onshore offshore work back onshore other one is going that in the past you've had um, you know, around recessions governments have invested mass amounts lots of money into infrastructure products roads bridges rail now that's great for keeping people busy and create work, but you can't export that at the end of it. So if you were to do similar investments into the digital economy and services economy in New Zealand, you're going to be, it's because of some big problems we've got on the digital side of government and for you know, New Zealand itself. If we could crack some of those problems, it positions New Zealand very well, keeps a, an important sector going as well as growth and export opportunities as well. Nice. And if anyone wants to, uh, I think you mentioned the date for that is May 6th as an initial session. If anyone wants to join that, what, what's the best way to do that? Uh, just connect with me on LinkedIn and uh, yeah, we'll uh, kind of get you in, involved in the discussion. Nice. So we've covered a lot of ground today. Uh, we've shared your perspective, Gary, on the current challenges facing business, uh, the impact that automation can have on productivity and the resilience uh, sorry, resilience and jobs for New Zealand. Uh, it's been an awesome conversation. Thank you for your time.
this has been the second podcast in a special three-part content series. If you missed the first part, which addressed the growth in the global RPA market, we're going to drop a link into the show notes. And next week, we will be delving into how to drive short-term benefit using automation with Adam Taylor. Thanks, guys. You were listening to another DX Talk, brought to you by Quantum, the future-focused pioneers for a new way of working. To drive change in your operating model through automation, or to subscribe for more episodes, visit quantum.co.nz.